It's still good to be here. Uh, you know, I said it once, I said it again. What do I owe you? Have you ever said that? Have you ever heard somebody else say that? Uh, if you're in southern Indiana, I almost guarantee you've either said it or you've heard somebody say it. I grew up in southern Indiana, and my dad said it all the time. And we lived out in the country, and we kind of lived on a hill. And uh, often, if the weather was bad, maybe it was slick, you know, the hill, people couldn't quite get up the hill, and they'd end up in a ditch somewhere. And they'd come and knock on the door. Hey, sir, uh, you know, we're in the ditch out here. Is there any way you can help us out? And he would always say yes. He would go get a, a tractor that we had, and he would, you know, pull them up out, or we would try to push the car up out of the ditch or whatever. And I knew what was coming. They would say, oh, what do I owe you? And my dad always said, you don't owe me anything. You just do nice, something nice for somebody else. And uh, when I went somewhere with dad, and he, maybe he needed something done, and he would go to the person who could help him out with it, and they would do it, and he would say, well, what do I owe you? And often they would just say, hey, you know what? Uh, you don't owe me anything. Uh, you know, just, just do something nice for somebody else. But we kinda, that's the way we kind of think, isn't it? What's it going to cost? Uh, we've got things that go wrong around our house, you know, a car breaks down, something else happens. And we're like, okay, how much is this going to cost, right? That's a common idea. How much? Sometimes we think every benefit, every good thing has to somehow be paid for. And so if somebody helps us, uh, we want to pay it back. Uh, we don't necessarily, you know, maybe it's not always with money. We just want to do something nice because we don't like to be indebted to anybody else. If somebody helps us, we want to pay them back. What do I owe you? There was a movie that came out called Pay It Forward. It was about this boy. He was about 12, I think it's seventh grade, something like that in school. And at school, he got this assignment. And the teacher came up with this idea. She told her students that she wanted them to really concentrate and think hard and come up with an idea that would change the world. I mean, that's a pretty good assignment for a seventh grader, I think. But anyway, he thought and he thought, and here's what he came up with. He decided that what he was going to do was he was going to uh, do something nice for three people every day. And if they would say something like, well, how can I pay you back or what do I owe you? He would say, you don't owe me anything. I just want you to pay it forward to three people tomorrow. And he decided, or he added it up, and uh, he knew that if he would do that every day, three people, and then they would do three people, and they would do three people, uh, within uh, a few weeks, over four million people would have had something nice done to them, and then they would be encouraged to help someone else. Wow, life-changing idea, right? This morning, I want us to take a look at one of the most familiar uh, stories that Jesus told, most familiar parable that Jesus told. Uh, people some people who have never been to church, don't know anything about church, they know at least a little bit about the story of the Good Samaritan, right? We've even got laws on the books that they call the Good Samaritan Law. Well, Jesus uh, was was teaching, and, uh, you know, I, I, unfortunately, a familiar passage like this, we know it forwards and backwards maybe if we've been in church for a while, and it's possible for us, when we hear a sermon or a lesson on that, to kind of flip that switch in our brain to neutral 
and we start thinking about where we're going to have lunch, right, (laughs) or something like that. Well, try not to do that, uh, because I want us to look at this maybe in, uh, I hope one or two things that we look at today are going to be a little bit different that we maybe haven't thought about quite in the same way before. Now, the prelude to Jesus' parable was a question. This is found in Luke chapter 10, by the way, starting in verse 25. Uh, An expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, and he asked him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question, isn't it? I mean... That's something we're interested in, right? And Jesus said, well, you know, what does the law of Moses say? You know, how do you read it? The man said, well, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Good answer. Jesus said, right, do this and you will live. But there was a problem. The man, you see, wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus was asked this uh, by a guy who was, the Bible calls him an expert in the law. Uh, But he wasn't the kind of lawyers that we have today. He was more of a religious expert. He knew the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. Today, we probably would call him a theologian. So this theologian asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And his idea was he wanted to kind of turn compassion into an intellectual thing. But Jesus wouldn't let him do that. Because Jesus wanted him to know that love requires action. Love is a verb. And so we have to do something with our love. Now the guy comes to Jesus with what he thinks is an excellent question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? This is something that the rabbis and the the experts in the the law of Moses would talk about a lot. They would argue over it. They would debate it. And here was the guy's thought. If I can get Jesus to make a commitment to one law, and we could probably start a nice argument and bring Jesus down in the opinion of the people. And so he, he asked him the question. And he was hoping Jesus would say something, and he could say, well, what about this other law over here? Or what about that other law over there? In my imagination, he asked the question, and I'm guessing kind of a smile broke out on Jesus' face. And Jesus said, well, you know, what do you think? You know, what what does the law say? You're the expert in the law. What does it say? How do you read it, you know? You answer the question. And the guy answered very well. He said, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. I think Jesus got excited. That's that's it. That is the answer. You're right. Just do that and you will live. Now go do it. That was the problem. The guy didn't want to do it. He wanted to ask a question that would create this give and take of an intellectual argument. 
He didn't want to do anything. He wanted to debate, to discuss, to argue. He looked for a loophole, so. Verse 29 says that he wanted to justify his actions. Or maybe a better way to put it would be he wanted to justify his lack of action. The problem he had was the idea of a neighbor. Uh, You know, he figured that he probably had the first part down pat. I already love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. And we could probably argue that. But the fact is, he thought it was okay. But then the second part, but who is my neighbor, right? Who am I supposed to love? Sometimes I'm afraid we do that, don't we? Uh, so, something that we read in the scripture, some command of God or something that he wants us to do. Sometimes we like to kind of reduce the commands to something we're more comfortable with, you know? I can't really do what this says, but maybe if I dumb it down a little bit, I can get by with doing something, right? And maybe loving my neighbor, let's see, how can I, maybe loving my neighbor means people who love me. You know, I just kind of love them back. Or maybe I can just love people who are lovable. But there's that one guy, and he is not very lovable, and I don't have to love him, right? You know, um, maybe I'll just love people and then people who will do nice things back. But guess what? Jesus won't let us live there. That is not the answer. Because caring and concern, you know, it's not just something to talk about. It's something to do. And we can talk all day and all night. We can try to make things sound good. Uh, we can, we can uh, whatever. But you know what? We've got to do what Jesus says. So Jesus begins to tell this story, this parable. Let me quickly tell it. You may know it already, backwards and forwards, but you may not. So let me just tell you the story. There was a guy who was traveling and uh, it was a dangerous place, apparently, because some bad guys jumped out, and they attacked this guy. They, they robbed everything he had. They beat him up, and they left him laying in the, the side of the road, bleeding, and basically left him for dead. And they took off. And he's laying there beside the road. And Jesus says, a guy came down the road, and it was a priest. Wow! You know, priests were the most... They were the holiest people in all of Israel. The people who were listening to Jesus knew that this guy would do something. I mean, he knew the scriptures. He taught the scriptures. He was the guy who offered the sacrifices to cover the sins of the people. I mean, if anybody was going to be reflecting God's character, it was this guy. I mean, it's kind of like the preacher. He's perfect, right? Okay, I know your preacher. And he's told you enough stuff that you know he's not perfect, right? And neither am I. But, you know, the people thought, this is the guy. If anybody's going to stop and help, this is the guy. But surprise, surprise, in Jesus' story, the priest goes over to the other side of the road and he walks on. I don't know why. Maybe he had an appointment. Maybe he had something. Maybe he was doing the temple. I don't know why, but he didn't help. So then Jesus, in his story, says, then another guy comes along. Uh, He's called a Levite. That just means he's kind of an assistant in the temple. Uh, He basically did all the things in the temple that the priest didn't do. 
so kind of an administrator, that kind of a thing, the day-to-day operations guy. And surely he would stop and help. He probably knows the where the resources are. He probably knows where he can get help. Uh, you know, uh, it, today it would be the guy who knows you dial 911 and they would come to this location, right? So he would know all those things. And so surely he'll stop and he'll help. And Jesus says that the, as the temple assistant came down the street, he looked and there was the guy. But then he also moved to the other side of the road and he just kept on going. Then in Jesus' story, a third guy comes along. And the third guy is a Samaritan. And when Jesus said that, I guarantee you, the crowd that was listening to him <gasps> gasped because they hated Samaritans. You see, way, way back in the Old Testament, the Jewish people thought that the Samaritan people, they didn't have pure blood. They had intermingled with foreign people, and they, they didn't like that. They thought God didn't want them to do that. And, and so they still, to, the, to that day, hated Samaritan people. And so when Jesus said that a Samaritan came, the people thought, okay, he's going to finish the guy off. You know, maybe he'll just kick him and move on down the road. I don't know. But they knew that this guy, he's an outsider. He wouldn't help somebody who's a Jewish person. But in the story that Jesus told, guess what? He is the one who stopped and helped. The Bible says that he put medicine on him and bandaged the wounds. He put him on the donkey that he had and took him to an inn. And he actually paid the innkeeper to take care of this guy. And even more, he said, you know, if if this is not enough, when I come back through, you let me know and I'll pay the rest. Man. And again, given the mutual animosity... The Jewish audience that Jesus was talking to, you know, they they probably just stood there with their mouths open. Are you kidding me? A Samaritan? But then Jesus moved on to the application, the bottom line, you might say. In verse 36, Jesus asks this guy, now which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits. The guy was trapped, right? He was in a corner. What could he say? Obviously, he had to say, well, the one who showed him mercy, the one who stopped to help. And Jesus said, yes. You know, he said, you're right. Now you go and do the same. So you see, Jesus taught, not only is love a verb, something you do, it is also a choice. The difference between the two guys who passed on by and the one guy who stopped to help was they made a choice to either pass by and forget the guy or to stop and help. Uh, The the two who passed, they just chose, I don't know why, maybe they just didn't want to get involved. Maybe they didn't want any trouble. Maybe they didn't have time. You know, these guys, they weren't monsters. They weren't horrible people. They probably had nice families. They were ordinary. 
They loved their kids. They tried their best to to do what they needed to do in the world. They saw the need, but they didn't do anything to help it. The Samaritan, he saw the same thing the other two saw. But he made an altogether different choice. He chose to stop. And he chose to help. Now let me point out to you that his help of this person cost him something. I mean, it it cost him time. He had to stop and help the guy and... He, you know, bound up his wounds and all that, and he put him on the donkey, and he walked into town while the guy rode the donkey, and they stopped at the innkeeper. He gave the innkeeper some money, and uh, he said, hey, I'll come back by and pay if there's anything left over. Everything that this Samaritan guy did cost him, either in time or resources or inconvenience. He could have walked by easily. He could have said, you know what? This is not my problem. This is a Jewish guy. I'm a Samaritan guy. I'm not going to help him. He probably hates my guts. Why would I stop and help this guy? You know, he he, he could have very well said, you know, uh, if I were laying there and he came along, would he help me? No. So why would I help him? You know, uh, he could have passed by. He could have chosen to just forget the guy. But he helped. Why? Because he cared. He was the neighbor. And the guy asking the question was forced to say, yeah, he was the one who, who was the neighbor. He showed the mercy. But we're not done with the parable yet. I know you're thinking, oh, man, we're going to get out early. Not quite. Because I got one more thing I wanted us to focus on. And that is the guy over there in the ditch. The guy who was beaten up. The guy who was robbed. The victim of the story, if you will. Because the victim teaches us something too. And he teaches us about accepting love. You know, sometimes we have a problem with that. You know, the injured guy... Uh, I don't know, he may have been unconscious and didn't even know the guy was helping him, but he may have been conscious. He may have seen the guy coming. He was obviously a Samaritan, uh, just based on the way he was dressed, probably. And I wonder, if he was awake and, and saw this Samaritan coming to help him, how would he react? I wonder. I wonder if he would say, hold on here. <laughs> Did I make the point that the Samaritans and the Jews didn't really like each other? Maybe he would have said, hands off. I don't want you helping me. You, you, you get lost. You're not my neighbor. Now, given the mutual hatred, he very well could have refused help, no matter how good the Samaritan's intentions may have been. And remember that the Samaritan moves to help someone that he knows if he was in that position and the other guy walked by, He would not help, right? Because of that hatred thing. No doubt. So here's the point. Being a neighbor doesn't just mean being willing to help other people. It also means being willing to be helped. 
In Luke chapter 20, verse 35, Luke records these words of Jesus. Jesus, they're not recorded in the gospel, but he did put them in Acts. Luke quotes Jesus as saying, it is more blessed to give than receive. I'll bet you've said that sometime. Or if you haven't said it, I'll bet you've heard it. And I think that giving may be more blessed than receiving. I know how you feel when you help someone and you feel like you've done the right thing, you've done a good thing. But I also think it takes a whole lot more grace and humility to receive even more than it does to give. I I think, you know, I can remember a few times, I've been in ministry for quite a while. I'm not going to tell you how long, but quite a while. And, and, And I got to tell you, um, I have had people in the you know, congregation or in the community, people who needed help. It was obvious. Maybe they had a tragedy in their house or maybe something happened and they lost their job or their car or something happened, house fire. You know, you know the situations. And people in the congregation, people who were believers, said, you know what, we need to help those people. And so they would go to that person. They would say, we want to, here's how we want to help you. And there have been a time or two or three when the person that we tried to help were offended because we tried to help. And it's almost like, you know what, I don't need your help. I can take care of myself. Uh, You know, uh, they might have turned it down. You know, I don't, you, you don't help me. I help you. I don't need your help. I don't know if that's the, you know, independent American spirit or just a sense of pride or I don't know what it is. But, but sometimes there's a sense that we don't want people to see that we're vulnerable, that we have a need of any kind. We're okay. We don't need you. And that's a problem. You're robbing somebody of their blessing. Are you a neighbor? Neighbors help neighbors. But guess what? That can't happen if you refuse to accept the compassion that is offered to you. If you let that help wound you, then you cheat them out of the blessing that Jesus said they would have by giving to you. Because you're unwilling to accept their offer of help. Neighbors help neighbors. But neighbors also accept help from neighbors. What can we learn from this story of the Good Samaritan? Can we learn that love requires action? Is it possible for us to learn that we need to choose to love people, even people who are not like us, people who are different from us, people who may not love us, people who may be unlovable to us? Can we do that? Can we reach out and love them and help them, even if they're not lovable? Can we be as willing to be helped as we are to help? I hope we can learn the lesson of Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan. I'd like to pray for us. Our Father, we thank you for letting us be here today to just think about this story that Jesus told. Help us not be so independent and 
stubborn and proud that we won't accept help from anyone. Help us learn how to give, even to people who are different from us, people who can't pay us back, people who maybe nobody else would help because they're not that lovely. I pray, Lord, that you would help us learn how both to give and to receive. Because, Father, you've called us to do both. And we have received from your hands the greatest blessing we can even think about. And may we give that to those around us who need it as well. In Jesus' name, amen.